So about 10 days ago, my friend sent me an article about the Oakley School District board meeting that went awry a little bit. And if you haven't heard this story, here's the basic synopsis of this. The board at the Oakley School District was meeting and uh, via Zoom, of course, and did not know that they were open to the public while they were doing some of their pre-meeting stuff. And if I, I have an, the article attached, so you can watch the whole video. But through the video, through their discussions as they're figuring out agendas and commentary from the public, all of a sudden, this group of folks started to have feelings about the pressure they were getting from parents, etc. And this is what they had to say. Right. Have an invested interest in this process and they don't know what we right. do behind the scenes. And it's really unfortunate exactly. that they want to pick on us because right. they want their babysitters back. Right. 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 I agree. And it's fine. It's just, it, I just need to get. Not only do they agree, all of them, there's more. My brother had a delivery service for medical marijuana. The high clientele were parents with their kids in school. <laughs> <laughs> and before I tell you why I don't think any of that nonsense was hilarious, maybe you should see how they react when they find out that they are open to the public. Uh-oh. Laura Lanier, just FYI, you guys have the meeting. Oh, we have the meeting open to the public right now. Nuh-uh. Nuh-uh. We don't have that meeting open to the public where people can hear the thoughts that we're saying that, you know, we would never say if the public were listening. It's a little absurd. Here's my problem with this thinking, and in this, just so we're clear, this spawned a whole bunch of research, and I'm going to, like, delve into the topic of our children's well-being and the ways that this has affected them during the COVID-19 shutdowns, and I'm not necessarily arguing or trying to make some sort of pitch about whether the kids should go back to school or not. I don't really have a horse in the game. My son is back on campus. Uh, you know, he's had, we've had some, we're open, we're not open, we're open, we're not open this year. But he's been back on campus quite a bit, a bit this year. And um, it, 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 there's been problems. And I'm not going to delve too deep into the personal, like, levels of problems. But I will tell you this. When he has been on campus for an elongated period of time, it's like more than a week, because we've had like a couple of times where it's been like one day, two days, and then he's out of school again, then he he jacked up his ankle at one point, and so then he stayed out of school because walking was a problem, even to the bus stop, to school, etc. But the real problem is that his grades have slipped since last year, his physical activity level is egregious and his irritation level, like irritability level or whatever you want to call it, is off the chain. 
this kid is like so like super like annoyed being home whether he admits it or not he thinks he likes sitting at home all day and getting to play his games and doing all that stuff but i guarantee you that while he's been home during the times where that time the stretches of being at home and basically going nowhere have been so long his irritation level is <laughs> so high and not to mention the fact that i'm also basically spending a vast majority of my time with my granddaughter who's three years old and has a, a ton of imaginary friends wait we go to the store and all of a sudden she's wants to talk to every person in the store and they all want to talk to her too it's wild and we were in line the other day at the dollar store it was we were buying a few things and i took her out with me to the store and her and this other kid got into this full-on conversation about who knows what the other kid's dad who was a he whose name i did never get because that was never happening were baffled at how to try and help these two communicate in a language we understood. These kids were off to the races. Again, I want to reiterate that I'm not trying to argue that we should be allowing or pushing. I think that the decision to open up schools makes total sense based on what's going on in your community. So I support the decision to not reopen. I do not support the people who are thinking at this point that the only reason that parents want to reopen is because they're looking for their babysitters back. Because I assure you, I don't need a babysitter for my 15-year-old son. And I don't need a babysitter for my three-year-old grandchild. She needs to be interacting with people other than me and my son and her mom and the occasional guest. And and I'm not the only person who thinks this. I there is um let's let's get into why I'm having this conversation because the UN, United Nations has published an actual a, a policy brief, the impact of COVID-19 on children. They published this in April of uh, 2020. Here is what the UN, I mean, it's a 17-page article, or brief, sorry, a brief. But here's something I thought was interesting that they mentioned. For children caught in the apex of this crisis, there is a genuine prospect that its effects will permanently alter their lives. Children facing acute depravity in nutrition, protection, or stimulation, or periods of prolonged exposure to toxic stress during the critical window of early childhood development are likely to develop lifelong challenges as their neurological development is impaired. Children who drop out of school will face not only higher risk of child marriage, child labor, and teen pregnancies, but will see their lifetime earning earnings potential precipitously fall. Children who experience family breakdowns during this period 
of heightened stress, risk losing the sense of support and security on which children's well-being depends. And I feel like this kind of like hits on all the notes that made me start asking about things like, you know, mental health obviously is something that has been put in the news. I, I've heard lots of um, pushback about like, you know, mental health. This is, it, that's certainly a subject that we've had, but there's also abuse and bullying, uh, children with special needs, nutrition and uh, physical health, and academic survival. And as we, as we go through, as I'm going through and trying to understand where, you know, like how things are affecting kids, I find this um, article, it's from the Foundation for Economic Education, parentheses FEE, is a libertarian economic think tank in the United States dedicated to the quote-unquote economic, ethical, and legal principles of free society. They're, they're, it, this is more of a UK thing, though. Like, it, it's... Um, but they actually cite a study um, on the uh, effects that this is having to kids. Granted, this study is only done with 168 kids between the ages of 7.6 years and 11.6 years. I'm very confused as to how you get 0.6 years. I'm sure there's some math in the months that works out that way. And then I I was like, okay, so how did you figure out the, these, these kids that you're going to study? There is a red study that was compri comprised of two groups. So I, I didn't go... This is also another long study. All these links are in the show notes. You're more than welcome to look at them. But basically, there was two groups. One was a large school group of two classrooms. It gives some equation notes that apparently will be in the equations later. And a smaller group, of they all completed the same additional assessments. Um, they were also, both samples are convenience samples. This is actually in the study. Um, it says families in the lab group were recruited via posters, words. So this is the one that's like the smaller group of kids, that word of mouth, online Facebook advertisements. And in the school groups, all the kids were in year three and four. So this is a UK study. So they were in third or fourth grade classrooms and were recruited into the study uh, using opt-out parent consent, which means they sent home a note and said, if you do not want your child to be in this, you need to send this back to us and tell them no. Most parents don't do that. But the results of this study were is what is very interesting. This is what they said the results were. A significant increase in the depression symptoms during the UK lockdowns was observed as measured by the revised Child Anxiety and Depression Scale, or RCADS short form. I don't know. I've never even heard of this thing before, but there are lots and lots of different perspectives and folks talking about the effects um, psychologically. So here. Well, again, you know, unfortunately, the damage gets done with children early on. And uh, from my experience, is huge. there's a huge amount of children right across the board 
that are diagnosed with all sorts of problems, learning issues, a lot of medication, giving, tearing, you know, creating chaos at home, no boundaries, expecting to be entertained, uh, whining, very, very difficult now. And the schools haven't given the parents, I don't think, many tips regarding how to set out a day, regarding how many periods they need to, talk, to teach. For instance, young, very young children can't concentrate for more than 20 minutes. Mm. 40 minutes is a maximum. It needs to be constructive. Those sort of tips don't seem to have been handed out. Added to that the fact that if you've got a child, in other words, where there's chaos and shouting in a home, the children are actually in control. So there's no respect, there's very few boundaries, more than likely watching far too much TV, not doing as much work as they should be doing, so that when they're going to go back to school, I think the schools are going to be faced with a big problem regarding how much work have children been doing mm. and how, what, what sort of lag is there. There are mm. all these issues that are going to pop up. Ken Resnick, thank you very much for your time, educational psychologist. So I find a couple things that he said a little interesting, like that kids are becoming kind of the boss of the house and, you know, that they're, they're, there's not a lot of guidelines as to what is an appropriate amount of time for the kids to be working. There's all kinds of problems that arise for the kids and they're irritable, like I said earlier, that... This is, this is a problem, and I, I'm not going to harp on this one too long because I know it's the kind of the, the hot button issue, so I really do want to get to the other aspects that are genuinely an issue as well during this time. There was an article in Psychology Today said that it's very important that the mental health care for children and adolescents is taken very seriously. To this, researchers show that most children's mental health disorders begin in childhood and, if not identified and treated early, will impact the child's development potentially, leading to uh, poor health and social outcomes. This was an article that was written, uh, let's see, in June, so already after we had been locked down for a while. Um, it's in Psychology Today and it's an article called The Impact of Prolonged School Closures on Children, link included. So I'm, I'm gonna leave the mental health to the side. There's I, there's a few articles for you to read and some studies, you check it out for yourself. But not only are we seeing a problem with mental health, which is the big kind of trigger word right now that I, I've heard a lot when I, I, re I researched into why people are having opinions about certain aspects. But then we've got also this affects um, students who are, the, the health, the, I'm sorry, the sports, shutting down the sports has become an issue. There's an article by WSN, um, the article's called UW Health Research Study Results Show Significant and Alarming Mental Health Impacts on school closures and sports cancellations. So we're not only saying that there's a problem, the psychological, that shutting down sports causes a psychological problem. So that there's a part of this article that says, using historical data obtained from past research studies, the group determined that the rate of mild to severe depression increases from 31% to 68%. In the past, 68% of the respondents reported minimal or no depression compared to just 32 in May of 2020. Physical activity was down 50% in May of 2020 compared to past results. 
and scores around quality of life, the physical health score decreased from 91.7 to 82.6. I think these are percentages, but I, I just cut and pasted, so I'm assuming these are percentages. So this, the psychosocial health dis, de, decreased from 90.4 to 76.2, and overall health decreased from 90.9 to 78.4. I'm assuming these are like percentages of respondents. So the study estimated that 66,000 Wisconsin adolescent athletes are at risk for depression with short-term effects of mental health disorders impacting students' use of drugs and alcohol, staying in school, engaging with peers, and graduating from high school. Long-term concerns of mental health disorders increase can include impacting whether, whether individuals go to college, extensive use of drugs and or alcohol, and the ability to form meaningful relationships. This all sounds pretty scary. I know how people, this, this this mental health thing is just being thrown around. I've heard it a thousand times. I've seen it in a thousand arguments and articles, etc. So I, like I said, I don't want to belabor the point too much, but like, I'm definitely concerned about the mental health issue of it. But additionally, there's other aspects that are affecting families. Not necessarily every family uh, this next i'm going to talk a little bit about bullying and um violence i don't think that these things are happening in well certainly the you know domestic violence is not happening in my house but i'm fairly convinced that my son is not you know having any major problems with bullying and my three-year-old granddaughter couldn't possibly at this point have any of that but i did find this interesting article about cyberbullying increasing and they did this study uh where is this i hate when i lose stuff um it, it was on digital trends it says cyberbullying increase amid coronavirus pandemic here's what parents can do this was written at the beginning this was like april 8th so we're not even full on into this and it, in the article it quotes ross ellis a founder and ceo of advocacy group stomp out bullying told digital trends she has also noticed a worrying uptick it all makes sense she says parents may be exhausted and not paying attention to what their children or their kids are doing online during non-school hours although cyberbullying has been around for a long time we're living in an unprecedented time and when kids are stressed out bored the opportunity to cyber bully is presented and as Ellis said and I thought that was very interesting because when kids are bored and for sure kids are bored without a doubt they are going to find ways to entertain themselves and kids are mean I mean we all have experienced this so so we've got kids being mean to kids and then there's also the aspect of domestic violence and you know there I've heard different things and a lot of people are you know the numbers are down the numbers are up the risk is high the risk is low but here's a, a clip that i got that you might be interested in um we're going to shift gears now uh, this half hour uh, and talk about this many experts predicted at the start of the pandemic that widespread self-isolation would lead to more cases of child abuse now they believe cases are actually being underreported. Calls to child abuse hotlines have gone down since stay-at-home orders took effect by around 50% in some states. 
Now, 40 welfare workers who are on the front lines protecting children have submitted video diaries to CBS News. First on CBS This Morning, our national correspondent, Jerika Duncan, shows us, in their words, how the outbreak is putting kids and workers at risk. This is our waiting room. It's completely empty. The only reason I am here today is because we have an emergency case coming in in a little bit. Just got a call about a child fatality in our area, and it just goes right along with the fact that this is a perfect storm for child abuse. Since the first known case of coronavirus hit the United States, only the most extreme child abuse cases are being reported. The physical abuse cases that we are seeing are kids that are being severely physically abused and needing medical treatment. Um, kids with broken bones, kids with visible bruises, kids with head injuries. You have all these factors that come into play. You know, nobody really wakes up in the morning and says, oh, I think I'm going to kill my kid today. Um, you know, it comes from frustration and anger and stress, and that's when kids get hurt. Children aren't coming into contact with the people who would normally be the ones who report the abuse, the mandated reporters, the teachers, the counselors, or even friends who then tell an adult about what's going on. Parents are struggling both with uh, losing jobs, putting food on the table, um, the stressors of homeschooling kids, um, and all of that. Now, I am not going to even begin to try to indicate the percentage of kids that are experiencing this. Like I said, this is not a case that's happening to all families, but it is happening and there, I, I've watched several videos, I've read several articles, indicated that the, the child abuse that is being reported is very drastic and, it, and it's like it's at a high level of danger instead of like a low level of danger in most cases. There's, it's hard to determine how much of this is happening because of COVID, but it does seem like that's an issue that should be of concern at, on a greater picture. And then you've got another kind of specialized area where it doesn't affect a lot of us. In fact, a lot of us probably don't even think about the fact that the kids that like my niece or, you know, I have some friends that have children with autism are really struggling with the IEPs and the resources and the, the type of programs and just the support that, that, that parents get with when they're at school for their children who have special needs and whatever that is whether it's educational needs or whether it's actual just speech therapy occupation therapy etc so you know that's another issue that i think isn't being looked at or isn't seen as by as many people because it doesn't affect as many people i thought this clip gave a little bit of insight that might help broaden that understanding we're forgotten about we're left in the dark we're not getting answers and we need those answers we're just weeks away from the upcoming school year many school districts will start off with virtual learning and yet many parents of children with special needs feel forgotten the biggest concern is getting the resources that are needed for the children that can only be provided correctly in a classroom, such as speech therapy, occupational therapy, and physical therapy. 
Mike Smith's daughter, four-year-old Jenica, has Down syndrome, and he worries that she and others will fall behind if the school districts don't come up with a tailored solution. We're not asking for our children to be put at risk and to be sent to school full time. We're asking for the resources that the school provides to not stop because our children need those resources. Smith says without resources like speech therapy, Jenica's development will come to a halt. While Jenica can only speak one word, she fully understands the words that we're speaking to her. It's just difficult for her to speak them back to us and communicate. As summer break comes close to an end, parents in both Henry and Gwinnett counties came together this week to demand a plan for their children. They can't tell me how my children are going to get their IEP-related services at home. They have no idea. I know there are lots of families that are currently dealing with this particular aspect. And that that's not the only form of inequality that's happening. Because if you have a child that needs extra services that if you're a parent of a special needs child, of a, of a child that needs to have some professional help from people who have been trained, know how to do this, work with kids like this all the time, have helped foster kids. I don't know where my niece would have been had she did not have all the amazing teachers and wonderful guidance she had while she was in school. And if that was all cut off for her, luckily she's an adult at this point and they have worked through a lot of this, but it, this had happened to her when she was young. I think it would have been pretty detrimental. And it's it's not just kids with special needs that are having this kind of inequity. Um, there's a there's an article from the U.S. Bureau uh, Census Government uh, Library that published an article in August of. 2020 says nearly 93% of households with school-aged children report some form of distance learning during COVID-19. And in this article, it actually says patterns of digital inequality can be attributed to social and economic differences in the use of online resources and inequity in access to computer and the internet has been widely documented. Lower income households are less likely than higher income ones to have internet access and computer availability. In addition to the disparities in access, low-income households may have lower levels of internet and computer proficiency, uh, competing prior priorities and or in ordinary times, children attending school that are not well equipped to provide online instruction. And one could argue, I'm not gonna say, so, the argument certainly could be that just because you have less resources means that you're not less competent, but it's just, the point is, is that that is something that families are having to deal with. If you are in a household where maybe you haven't been working with a computer for the last 20 years because your job has been to be a landscaper and you don't really do computer other than like emails maybe or receipts or something. I, Maybe you don't know how to interact with your child's classroom portal. I, it just, you could have a really well-paying job and not have any idea how to really interact with the technology that's happening right now for our students. And I think this is a valid 
concern whether it has to do it's not just a an economic issue it's it's a forcing people and parents and kids to deal with a situation where they may not have the resources in support from their parents or in technology that they need and not just that then we've got the the people that actually need and rely on nutrition and here's another clip that says it way better than I can but in a world where nearly 40% of the population don't have access to internet the new coronavirus has also exposed the deep digital divide that exists between countries and in communities where low-income families depend on schools to provide their children with safety and nutrition closure of schools mean anxiety and hunger for some. In many countries, including the United States, uh, schools play a vital function in providing for uh, food for children. We have over 50% of the children in public schools in the United States who qualify to receive free lunch and free breakfast at school every day. And uh, if they're not in school, it means some of them will not be eating. Uh, there are many parts of the world, including the United States, where uh, poor people do not have access to the internet. Uh, and so to rely on virtual learning, remote learning uh, during this period is going to exacerbate those inequities. As more cities and towns go under lockdown and government leaders scramble for response, it seems like it's taken a pandemic to reveal the existing inequality made much worse. Priyanka Gupta, Al Jazeera. So this isn't just something that's happening in our country. This is affecting a whole generation of kids, a whole, like the whole entire world. I will, I'm mostly concerned about what's happening in my house, which is, I think, legitimate, but it is important for us to understand that the mentality that we have right now about the COVID and about how we are addressing it is affecting our kids. And I know this has gone on a little longer, but there's one last area that for sure has affected me and that is how it is affecting kids academically. In New York Times article that uh, they put out in uh, on January 21st of 2021, so it, it says um, 1,300, I'm sorry, 13,000 school districts, 13,000 approaches to teaching during COVID. And in this article, it says, through all of this, there has been no official accounting of how many American students are attending school in person or virtually. We don't know precisely how many remote students are not receiving any live instruction or how many students have not logged in to their, class, their classes all year, nor has the federal government tracked how many coronavirus cases have been identified in schools or which mitigation uh, method uh, districts are using so it basically at this point is saying we don't know and this we're not the only people that have a problem with it the kids themselves actually have a problem with this one student is so frustrated he wrote to Sky News to complain that the government isn't doing enough to as he put it mitigate the months of lost learning Aaron Billingsley a year 10 from Sutton Coalfield is worried about the damage to next year's GCSEs when we go back to school, everyone will be at different stages of their courses and we will have mock exams starting year 11 and we will only have half of the syllabus. 
Aaron attends Fairfax Academy, which says it offers students five lessons a day and keeps in touch through online surveys, phone calls and video. But Aaron's fellow pupil, Lily, says the government should ensure that schools can have digital, face-to-face -face contact. They could definitely get schools, like encourage schools to put us on Zoom calls more and utilise all of these things that we could be using. What we would normally be spending in lesson and getting support from the teachers, we are spending on our own and when we do need that help, you can message the teachers and most of them do reply but some of them don't. Survey company TeacherTap found hundreds of thousands of students, mostly from disadvantaged backgrounds, are studying for less than an hour a day since schools closed. In deprived areas, 43% of secondary school teachers said their pupils studied for less than an hour, which compares to just 4% in private schools and 14% in affluent intake state schools, where students work for much longer at home. This work ethic gap is widening as the lockdown continues, and TeacherTap says the government should set minimum standards standards of education in this period. To be in a position where ministers are dictating how schools get cleaned, but not what sort of learning goes on, is very unusual and is disappointing. But the government has promised 200,000 laptops for disadvantaged children. They've not made sure that those are in the hands of those pupils. So I think that's one reason why the government aren't saying that schools have to deliver online learning, because they know that they haven't made sure that every pupil has got the ability to do it. And as I said in the beginning of this, for sure we're experiencing this in my house. My son's grades are definitely, we're having weekly check-ins. It's been hard for him to keep up his self-discipline because he doesn't really have any, if I'm being honest. And I'm, it's hard, like, he's 15 years old. Like, it's, it's an issue, academic, He's, he's a sophomore, so he needs to be worrying about how his grades are, but it's really hard for him to feel that pressure when the academic level of this is an issue. We are in, essentially, in my opinion, have taken an entire year of academic learning and kind of turned it into mush, for lack of a better word. I, I know this went long. This, was, this is a very complex subject because we're talking about our children. We're talking about the future of our existence as a people in this country, in the world, etc. And, you know, I, I feel like we're kind of in one of those like classic philosophical arguments. I remember taking a course in college and one of the arguments we talked about was, I, I, if I remember correctly, it was, it, this was one where we discussed like philo philosophical conundrums, basically. And one of the examples I remember discussing was the teacher gave this, this hype, uh, scenario where there, you're on a sinking ship, there's a lifeboat available, it will only hold one adult or two children, and you have to decide who gets on the boat. Of course, the very first question that everybody asked because he did keep it general, was, are the children yours? And he said, well, does that make a difference? And the kids, most of the kids in the class, I was a little older at this point. I was pregnant with my son when I took this class. Um, so I was in my 30s, early 30s. And so most of the kids in this class were like, well, it, yeah, it would make a difference if they, they were my kids. And he said, why? You know. So it, the debate went on and on. But the, the idea is, who 
gets sacrificed. Do I sacrifice myself for my kids? Absolutely. Do I sacrifice myself for two other kids I don't know? I mean, I would like to think I'm a decent enough human being who would do that, but then the arguments came like, well, is their life really better than yours? And it, like, we, we spent an entire class period debating this particular scenario. And I feel like we're in this situation right now. Like, how long do we keep risking the future of our children's mental, physical, emotional, and academic health with stress and loneliness and isolation for something that, not to sound dismissive, but is affecting a relatively small portion of our population at large. I, I don't want to dismiss the deaths. And I'm again, I'm not arguing for schools to open. I'm just saying this is impacting our kids so greatly. And I feel like maybe we're not asking ourselves that important question because this can affect our kids for the rest of their lives what's happening right now so that's what i have to say what do y'all have to say it's been good talking to you i know it's been long thanks for hanging in there with me we'll talk to you again soon mm -hmm.